reading that passage from John, uh, you can see that there's a bit of, of fluidity in the way that Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit and the way that he talks about the commandments of God. And the reason for that is quite simple, that before there was a Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, that the church always celebrates on this day, there was a Pentecost in the Old Testament time, and throughout the period of the, of the Old Testament, whenever people celebrated Pentecost, they celebrated the gift of the Word of God, the gift of the Word of God. And so there's a, a great unity on this day uh, for the people of God through the centuries in celebrating the gift of the Word and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, isn't that interesting? Um, there's great continuity there for us because ultimately this day, more than anything else, so, you know, we've, we've had uh, a lot of exposure in the 21st century now to Pentecostalism, to all kinds of things that seem to be um, spectacular related to the gift of the Spirit. But more than anything else, this day is about God keeping His promises. God keeps His Word. He always keeps His Word. He gave us His Word. He fulfilled His Word. He did something in the life of Jesus that changed the world. And now He gives us His Spirit as, as the, the great down payment that He will always and forever keep His Word. His promises are good to the end. We're in an election year. This is a year filled with promises. <laughs> promises from both sides, from everywhere, all around us. Promises. And we know that most of those promises won't be kept. Regardless of who wins or who loses, most of those promises won't be kept. But every promise from Almighty God is true and will be fulfilled. And that's what this day is about more than anything else. More than anything else. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to go all the way back to the beginning, to the first promise Go back with me to, to, to the, the roots of this tree over here, if you will. And let's start with this story that we heard about from Abraham. <clears throat> Think back with me. Long before the gift of the Spirit, long before the gift of, of the Word in written form, all the way back to Abraham. God called Abraham out from his people, from his family, from the place where he had grown up, from the religion that surrounded him, God called him from his culture. He called him to a new place, to the west, to the setting of the sun, to journey uh, with his wife. God called him to a new way of life, a new religion, living in covenant relationship with Almighty God. That was what God called him to do. This new life lived in dependence upon the Lord was something neither he nor anyone in his family had ever experienced before. Covenant living. It was a life brimming with promise. That was the way it began. Filled with promises. For Abraham and his, and his family to be blessed, and then through them for all nations, all peoples on earth to be blessed through them. That was what it was all about when it began. So Abraham follows God's call, and Abraham uh, marches over the Middle East, in order to come to the promised land. And uh, God kept his promises, and God blessed Abraham so much that he became a very wealthy man in his old age. Through many adventures and missteps, as we read 
in the Abraham story, we see how God blesses him over and over again. And one of the signs of that blessing is extraordinary wealth. But, as you know, Sarah was barren. And more than anything else, what Abraham and Sarah wanted was a baby. In their old age, God comes to them and God promises a son. And both Abraham and Sarah laugh in disbelief. How could this possibly be? Yet when Abraham finally reaches the ripe old age of 100 years old, this promise is mysteriously fulfilled, right? And now they name their son Isaac. He laughs because this, this gift of, of joy, this gift of laughter fulfills what they had, had scorned and mocked before. God wiped away their tears and filled them with happiness instead. And as they watched Isaac grow into a young man year by year, they continued to laugh knowing that God would keep his promises. God certainly would. God had fulfilled these amazing promises at the beginning, and now many decades later, God would keep his promises. All of them would be fulfilled. And so we come in Genesis chapter 22, the passage that we read this morning, we come to what I would like to call Abraham's final exam. Did anybody have final exams this week? Anybody have them coming up in the weeks ahead? Final exams? This is the season of final exams. Um, but you know, there are finals and then there are final finals, right? This is, uh, this is not just any exam. This is Abraham's final final. This is the last one, the big one in Genesis 22. And it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to Moriah and offer him there on one of the mountains I will show you as a sacrifice. Put yourself in Abraham's shoes for just a minute and think about how he must have felt as he heard this and as it sunk in to this 100-year-old, 115-year-old something man at this point. Many of us have waited on the Lord for a long time for him to, to answer promises, to fulfill promises to us. Uh, I can remember waiting patiently for a wife. I can remember hearing that the Lord called me to be married and enduring breakup and rejection after rejection for many years into the dozens, plural. (laughs) I can remember waiting and waiting. And uh, finally, with the help of a professional hypnotist, I convinced Elise to become (laughs) my wife. But I was still a young man when we were married. When I try to imagine what it must have been like for Abraham to have waited not just a few years, but decade after decade after decade for this son, until he was 100 years old, it blows my mind. You think about that. Where any of the rest of us would have long ago lost our patience completely and walked away and tried some other religion, Abraham waited and waited And now, having watched his son grow up into a young man, God tells him to take him and to sacrifice him. Think about that. 
So think about this long night for Abraham, tossing and turning in his bed, wondering if he had made the whole thing up. Did he really hear from the Lord? Uh, has all of these experiences just been coincidence so far? Has it been just sheer luck that he ended up in Canaan with all of this wealth? That, that, that God gave him a son in his old age. After all that had happened, had God now turned against him? Hundreds of years later, when God would give his law to Moses, this thing we celebrate on Pentecost, we would find out that God is, is vehemently opposed to child sacrifice. It's repeated over and over again in the law of God. But that was still centuries to come. Abraham didn't have the written word. All Abraham had was the word of God. And where Abraham came from, child sacrifice was a regular practice. It was a part of life. It was something that you would expect your God to tell you to do. All that Abraham knew about living with God, under God, in covenant relationship was what God had told him. And Abraham had been converted to faith by God speaking to him directly. And now God continues to speak to him. So this is now the 33rd time that God speaks to Abraham his, his direct words. And now he tells him to go and sacrifice his son. All that Abraham had to go by were God's promises to him. And, of course, the overwhelming evidence of what God had done in his life. And if we were to flip back three or four chapters to Genesis chapter 17, we would see this promise that God gives to Abraham. Listen to this. He says, I will establish my covenant with Isaac. And it will be an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him forever. Now, how is God going to do that if he kills this little boy? How is he going to keep that promise? Had God changed his mind? When Abraham woke up the next morning, he had to decide what to do. And here's what it came down to for Abraham. After decades of knowing God, in fact, God became Abraham's friend in the Sodom and Gomorrah story. God came and talked to Abraham and sought his counsel in that story. After decades of knowing him and being his friend, after all those years of promise and blessing... Abraham knew somehow that God would keep his promise to him. God would work things out. God would see to it. In the final analysis, what the author of Hebrews says is that Abraham considered that God was even able to raise Isaac from the dead. So off they went, three days' journey to Moriah, to the place God showed Abraham, to the place where Solomon would later build the temple as a place of sacrifice to God. And Abraham took the wood and he placed it on his son's shoulders and he carried the fire and the knife and up they went, up the dry, dusty path to the top of the mountain. And as they went, Isaac said, Father, here I am. Here are the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? God will see to it, Abraham said. God will see to it himself about the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And up they went, on up to the top of the mountain. And there Abraham built the altar, and he arranged the wood, and he bound his son, and he lay him on top of the altar, and he took out his knife to kill his son. 
But the angel of the Lord calls out to him just at the last moment and says, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham says, here I am. Here I am. Do not harm the boy. Do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God because you did not withhold your son, your only son, from me. So then Abraham lifts up his eyes and he sees it. There it is. The ram in the thicket. This gift of God. So Abraham took the ram. He bound it. He offered it on the altar instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. God sees to it, literally. God sees to it. Abraham passed God's final exam. And in so doing, he saw both the past and the future. Looking back into the past, Abraham was reminded that God always keeps his promises. No matter how long you have to wait, God will always do what he says he will do. God is always faithful. But also looking into the future, what did Abraham learn? Abraham learned a glimpse of the way God was going to save the entire world. Because God provided an acceptable substitute for for, for the sacrifice of Isaac. The ram caught in the thicket, get this, the ram caught in the thicket died in the place of Isaac. And because there was a ram, Isaac lived. And because Isaac lived, Jacob was born. Because Jacob was born, the nation of Israel came to be. And because the nation of Israel came to be, a nation grew up, went into Egypt, was rescued from slavery. The law was given on Pentecost. Many years later... The Son of God would be born. The Lamb of God, born to a virgin. And the angels would sing and the shepherds would dance for joy. All because an acceptable sacrifice was found for Isaac. Jehovah Jireh, God saw to it. He fulfilled all the promises by substituting the death of the one for the lives of the many. The death of the one for the lives of the many. In this, Abraham saw the past. He saw God's faithfulness always to keep his promises. And he saw the future that God would provide a way. The death of the one for the lives of the many. The 35th and final recorded words of God to Abraham in the Bible are found in Genesis chapter 22, Verses 16 through 18. God says, By myself I have sworn, because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. This is what's written on the wall here. Abraham's obedience somehow led to the blessing, not only of his family, but of all families of the world. All glory and praise and honor to God who keeps his promises. Amen? Now, many centuries later, the Lamb of God would stand on trial before Pontius Pilate for crimes he did not commit. He would be falsely accused and falsely sentenced, and he would make his way up a dusty hill carrying the wood, 
just like his ancestor Isaac had done so long before. And the only way he could do it was because God had provided an acceptable sacrifice for Isaac. And there, once again, Jehovah Jireh, God sees to it, but not as he had done before. This time, Father God lifts up his eyes and he sees it. Here we are, caught in the thicket. Not a ram, but us. Caught in a thicket. The, the thicket of sin. And he loved us so much that he forbade his angels from saying a word. The angels did not cry out and say, stop this. The angels allowed it to happen and waited in silence as the knife was plunged into the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jehovah Jireh, God saw to it an acceptable sacrifice, the one for the many. And having passed his final exam, the Lamb of God cried out, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. How could this have happened? How could God have turned his face away from his beloved son, his only son, Jesus, whom he loved? Had God changed his mind? Not at all. God permitted this one final substitute, knowing that it was not the end of the story. On Pentecost, Peter would stand and preach a sermon about the crazy stuff that was going on. We heard part of it from Acts chapter 2. Phil, you got every one of those right. Every town. Thank you. Acts chapter 2. Peter quotes from the prophet Joel. We ended the reading this morning at verse 21. Let me read to you what Peter then says, starting at verse 22. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, Jehovah Jireh, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Do you hear that? It was impossible. And God knew this. This was part of God's plan. God knew what Peter would later proclaim. It was not possible to keep Jesus down. It was not possible for him to remain in the tomb. Jehovah Jireh, God saw to it. He always does. He always keeps his word. Now think for a moment. What's got you down? What is that besetting issue, that challenge, that frustration that aggravation that you wake up in the middle of the night thinking about, the thing that you woke up thinking about this morning, the crushing weight that you're carrying, what is it? Where are you feeling the hopelessness of life? Listen to this promise from Romans 8.31. Paul says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not 
also with him graciously give us all things. How will he not? The God who keeps these kinds of promises, the God who saw to it in such a way as to fix everything that is broken in this world, how will he not? Jesus said it was for our good that he go away, and that he would not leave us as orphans. He said he would give us his Holy Spirit to all Christians. And there's all kinds of benefits that we are assured of in the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? He reminds us of truth. He guides us in the things that we say. He guides us in the things that we pray. He empowers us for mission. All of these wonderful things that the Holy Spirit does, right? Wonderful abilities that we're empowered for through the gift of the Spirit. But more important than any of these activities of the Spirit within us is the seal of the Spirit upon us. The seal of the Spirit upon us. Paul writes to the Corinthians saying that God has anointed us, God has sealed us, and God has given us His Holy Spirit as a down payment. As a down payment, as a deposit, as a guarantee of the full and final redemption that He has promised to work in us. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And you have the gift of the Spirit Yes, to empower you. Yes, to lead you into truth. But more importantly than anything else, as a down payment, as a guarantee that he who began a good work in you will finish. Thanks be to God. Isn't that wonderful news? That's what this day is about. That's why this is the biggest festival of the year. This is the day to celebrate more than any. Because we have a guarantee. We have an assurance that we now carry with us. For the rest of the year, he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. So we praise and worship Jehovah Jireh today, the God who sees to it. He saw to it with his son, an acceptable sacrifice, the one for the many. And he will see to it for those of us who are called to know him and love him and walk in his ways. Let's pray.